An Indonesian man explains why he ate a cat. Bali gets salty at some klepto visitors. Brownface commercial fails to impress Singapore's Indian community. Hong Kong still angry. Our Naruto run through a storm of Thai internet memes. A turtle and whale wash up dead in the Philippines, and why we're all to blame. Welcome to the Coconuts Podcast, our look at the latest and greatest reporting from our eight newsrooms in Southeast Asia and Hong Kong. I'm Todd Reese, and I'm the managing editor of Coconuts Bangkok. And I'm associate editor Tara Kamaltanavith. Tara. Hi. Mingalaba. Huh? I don't know. I thought we could try out some different Southeast Asian greetings. It's what uh, is Burmese. That from? Burmese. Mingalaba. Yeah. Anyways, what's the biggest non-story? That affects all of our coconuts uh, markets. The storm, the democracy event on Facebook. No, I'm talking about the meeting of ASEAN ministers in oh, Bangkok. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm, <laughs> I'm jumping far ahead. I mean, honestly, I have not kept up. Anything fun? No, because they, they, when they meet, reporters aren't allowed into the sessions are right. all private. Right. You don't know what they're going on about. And then, and then you just have to wait for the end for them to come out and make a statement, right. which is like sort of a recap, right. which is probably what they spend most of their time talking about. It's like, okay, what are we <laughs> going to tell, gonna tell the press? I did see that hilarious, like that gif where Duterte and like Briot and all the ASEAN leaders are like trying to hold hands, but like cross arms. Ah, you see, this is the only good thing that emerges from these ASEAN meetings every time is the ASEAN hand. Because <laughs> it's not enough that they just hold hands. Explain, no. explain the ASEAN handshake. So they basically cross arms. Like you shake your right hand with your left person and your left hand with the person to your right. So you're kind of in this crisscross. And what ha- why this video is so funny is because there's this huge space between, I forget who, it might have been Duterte. And people are just like shuffling, trying to like reach each other's who's hands. Gonna, who's going to reach further? It's, right. it's, it's very political. It's quite hilarious. I watched the GIF like 10 times. Right, and this is the thing that, I mean, photographers, reporters covering this bored out of their minds. It's pretty much like the only moment they wait for is the (laughs) awkward moment when everyone looks goofy trying to do this. Yeah. Speaking of goofy and awkward, we're going to run through some fun stuff close to home here in Bangkok uh, after the news, but let's, let's hit the headlines, shall we? Let's do it. In a video filmed last week in central Jakarta, a man is seen taking bites out of a cat's carcass as its intestines dangle and blood dripples onto his shirt. On Wednesday, the Indonesian necromancer came forward to apologize, not for the public cat consumption, but for not doing a better job keeping it a secret. The man, identified as Abba Grandong, said he never intended for the video to be public, explaining that eating a cat is a traditional black magic rite in Java's western province of Banten. The ritual, called debus, can supposedly make one invincible and somehow involves the help of genies. (laughs) It wasn't the first time Batanese dark arts have caused a stir. Seven students were hospitalized two years ago after their guru told them to rinse their hands with acid. Yeah, not sure what that one was about. Jakartan police have been hunting for the man all week after the video started making rounds on social media. Authorities say that he's likely to be charged with animal abuse, and if convicted, faces up to nine months in prison, or a fine equal to about two American cents. Yeah, violence against animals is not such a serious offense in Indonesia. What started weeks ago as a protest against an unpopular law in Hong Kong has turned into seething anger against the government and police. 
A week after officers evidently stood aside to allow pro-Beijing triad members to assault people on their way home from a protest, there's been a spate of sort of tit-for-tat reprisals with anti-mainland Chinese sentiments on the rise. Coconuts Hong Kong associate editor Vicky Wong. So one of the uh, lawmakers from the pro-Beijing side who was in... Um in the news in the recent weeks uh, is a guy called Junius Ho. And Junius Ho was caught on camera shaking hands with some of the men in white shirts who are later identified as being involved with the Yunlong attacks on July the 21st. And for an indication of just how much he is hated by a lot of protesters, um, when I was at Yunlong Station on Saturday afternoon just to, uh, just to see the protests, um, there was a funeral wreath with a black and white photo of Junius Ho and people were, they were just around this funeral wreath throwing spirit money at him and uh, chanting Ho Guan Yu Pokai, which basically means Junius Ho dropped dead. Clashes erupted anew this week on word that dozens of protesters had been charged with rioting. 44 of the accused appeared in court Wednesday where they face up to a decade in jail if convicted. The charges triggered fresh clashes late Tuesday between police and protesters. Early Thursday morning, someone in the Sha Tin area torched a so-called Lenin Wall, where people post supportive messages to protesters one day after six people were injured there by someone firing incendiary materials into the crowd. It's unclear if protests will resume this weekend after a massive typhoon just hit the area. Again, Vicky Wong. It's hard to say at the moment just... Um when the protests are going to die down, if they are going to go, die down. And a lot of the key protest demands haven't been met yet. And it's very hard to see at this point, like, if they are going to just hang the, throw the towel in and give up, or are they still going to persist? Because at this rate, it feels like there's a protest every single weekend. I think people know to just make time in the weekend to just go out in the streets and protest. Okay, truth time, Todd. Have you ever taken anything from a hotel? Uh, do regrets count? <laughs> Not more than, like, physically. Oh, okay. Like stuff. Stuff. Like, I don't know, I've, t- I've taken, like, a toothbrush. Okay, I've taken way more than a toothbrush. I've taken my fair share of <laughs> complimentary things. Oh, oh, uh, my toilet article bag is filled with uh, mini soaps and shampoos, but that's normal. <laughs> yeah, right? I think it's safe to say that everyone have pocketed, like, the occasional complimentary soap or two. But there is a limit. As one Indian family visiting Bali caught red-handed this weekend, found out. A viral video showing the moment the tourists were busted shows hotel staff discovering quite the collection of accessories, including hair dryers, woven storage containers, hangers, and what appears to be ceramic soap dispensers in the family's luggage. I don't think those are complimentary. No, definitely not. That's when, in the video, the family finally stops demanding to be let go, and a man starts repeating the same offer to pay. Explain now. I will pay. Yeah. Sorry. No, no, no. It's no, not about pay. I am very late. I know you have a lot of money. Extra money. I will pay. No, this is no respect. A hotel employee said firmly that it wasn't about the money, but a lack of respect as the offenders continue to apologize and offer to pay without admitting the apparent theft in the video. The story became the second most popular item of all of Coconuts this past week. Shenny, our Coconuts Bali managing editor, said that in addition to anger, the story got picked up by Indian media where it was labeled a national embarrassment. I've also seen a lot of Indians kind of jumping in on the conversation and even going so far as to want to educate their fellow citizens who are traveling internationally to make sure that they don't do these types of things. It 
escalated now and becoming part of a larger discussion on how this is portraying Indians in a bad light on the international stage and perpetuating racist stereotypes for Indians when it's really just the act of one family among like billions of other Indians. You know, you'd think by now that getting people to pose as members of other racial groups to sell stuff would be shot down in any ad meeting, certainly in racially and culturally diverse Singapore. Two wrongs made an even bigger wrong this week after broadcasting conglomerate Media Corp pulled an ad featuring one of its actors, Dennis Chu, playing an Indian man and Malay woman in addition to Chinese roles to promote an e-payment service. The brownface commercial upset two Indian Singaporean siblings enough that they made a music video riffing on the Media Corp ad. In the actually rather catchy rap, they complained that, quote, Chinese people always out here fucking it up. Okay, last name Mutusami and the K stand for king. How come you so jealous of the color of my skin? Wait, actually it's accurate of the city we in. No matter who we choose, the Chinese man win. Not really a cool way to go after problematic representation, guys. Uh, Singapore maintains order with a bit of an authoritarian zeal, particularly when it comes to the media. But rather than go after both parties, the Info Communications Media Development Authority declared the rap video was prohibited content for its effect on public interest and national harmony. Subhas Nair, the rapper, said the uneven response was the result of a state that reinforces Chinese privilege over other ethnic groups. The grim impact of humans on the environment and wildlife in Southeast Asia were brought into focus by two marine mammals that were found dead on Filipino shores. On Sunday, a pygmy sperm whale was found dead in Davao City with its intestines packed with plastic, including a cup and nylon rope. The three-meter animal weighed over 200 kilograms. Marine biologist and environmentalist Daryl Blatchley told Coconuts Manila that whales often hang out in the Davao Gulf because it's a good food source for marine life. He said that the problem was that people treat the waterways like garbage receptacles. Unfortunately, the garbage problem is not limited to Davao. In fact, a 2017 Greenpeace study said that the Philippines was the world's third biggest source of plastic ocean pollution. More direct human action was to blame the next day when a dead leather sea turtle also washed ashore at Bula Town with a piece of rope tangled around it. Leatherbacks, the largest of all turtles, have been declared vulnerable, which means they are at risk of extinction. Officials believe that someone tried to catch the turtle but failed due to its large size and abandoned it to drown. Well, thanks for that, Tara. That's a real downer. <laughs> You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. So uh, we, I, we wanted to talk, well, let's back up a moment. Objectively, last month, arguably the top story in the world was not... Um, Mueller Report. Something oh, about Donald. Boris Johnson. It wasn't any of these uh, arguably very important things that happened. The thing that everyone was talking about was what? Aliens. The Area 51 raid. That's right. The Storm Area 51, they can't stop all of us event, which I think was supposed to happen in September 20th. 20th. Right, yeah. right. It flooded all of the intertubes with just a, with disgusting memes. Yeah, I mean, just grotesque memes everywhere. <laughs> just oh. a be- meme explosion. Oh my goodness, it was it was just gnarly. <laughs> so within days, of course, there's copycats, mm-hmm. and you noticed right here in uh, in Bangkok, Thailand. Yes, that we had uh, a suspiciously similar sounding event called. <laughs> it's called Storm the. Mo- the- 
storm the democracy monument. They can't stop all of us. Right. Hmm. right. That's eerily familiar. <laughs> well, and it well, I mean, first a little history. Why why would why would anyone want to storm the democracy monument? Well, if you haven't been following Thailand's politics for the past, if you've been following the modern era, right? Yes. You've been following the modern era. We've we've had a a rough couple of decades where our democracy has been called into question several times. There has been a cycle that has sort of followed the same script right. for generations of coups of authoritarian governments, and there's. There seems to be one thing that pulls the trigger and makes it all come crashing down uh, for whatever the councils of peace, order, and security and happy good times are at the time. It's when people gather en masse at the Democracy Monument. Right, yes. 1973, 1992, you had, you had some kind of incident where, where the authorities overreacted, left bodies on the ground. And people responded by coming out, again, in mass, like hundreds of thousands of people and gathering around the Democracy Monument. Mm -hmm. And those are the moments that put Thailand back on the course to democracy, right. at, least for, uh, for at least for a while. Yeah. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that image, I feel like, is very symbolic for Thailand. Like, when we think of revolution, if we think of protesting, we, we think back to that image. Sure, sure. And the people very aware of that are the people in, in the powers that be now and trying to avoid that. And arguably that's why they haven't been out gunning down protesters. Right. Um, they've learned that lesson. Uh, at the same time, it explains why when, there, when there's been uh, an attempt at, at organizing mass demonstrations or anything approaching the democracy monument, they've, like, last, they've turned it into a jungle a few times where yeah. they covered the whole, you know, the democracy monument to explain is this, it's this very large um, roundabout. Yes, In exactly. the old part of town. It's got this cool... Art Deco arcing monument built by one of the uh, Italian emigres. Um, and it has a declaration of independence in the middle. Right. It's got, it shows the constitution yes. in an elevated position. Right. right? The a, first constitution right, of Thailand. In a sacred position. Mm -hmm. um, and so when, when these protests happen, that they, they put barriers around it. They've covered it with like potted plants. <laughs> Um, anything to keep people from gathering there, right. because they're very they're very sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. So okay, so that explains. I guess that explains why people would want to right. storm, storm the, the democracy. democracy monument. It's like in video games when you have a certain capture point. You know these like important locations. And you have to hold that to change the map over to your color. I don't know that because okay. I don't play games, but good to know. <laughs> so online, a lot of people have started expressing their frustration over you know the kind of non-democratic practices the of our government. is a very political place. Yeah, it's turning into one. So that brings us back to the event, the Storm Democracy Monument. They can't stop us all. They can't stop us all. Um, so we looked at this, I mean, we're, we were amused by this, but something that caught our attention in particular was plan that was laid out. Amarin Velocita Songtarak, that's at least the Facebook name, Mm -hmm. um, laid out a very detailed plan in the true spirit of uh, of Storm Area 51. Right. With and lots he, of colored lines. Right. <laughs> lots of colored line, lots of color-coded routes, even teams to divvied up. Right. And But once you start reading the, the plan put forth by Amadin, it's sort of brought into focus. It's like a big inside joke that you kind of be, have to be part of the generation or the, you know, the, the small, the subgroup to kind of get... Here's, here's the plan put forth by Amarin Velasita Songtarak. 
Start with JoJo's stand users. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to auto-correct some of the English in my head here. Um, though I'm in, actually, he wrote this in English, and it's quite good. We'll let them stand by at their position on the map and let them clear the dinosaurs and their army from the footpaths that are too close to our assembly area. Then we'll let the specialists do their jobs first. Local college fighter, Nick Deng. Before storming, Tamagai monks will buff holy aura for you to increase your strength. Sorry, I am not autocorrecting the English in my head. <laughs> then rush into the right of the monument to create the war scene against police and soldiers. The nun who deflect the nuclear bombs, catch or deflect the tear gas grenade and other as fast as possible and make the path easier to storm. Ricardo Milo's dancer. We will let them be at attention, and they will dance to dodge the bullets. This will make local college fighter reach the contact easy. Over on the west side, the ROV and PUBGM gamer kids will let them play the game first, then wait for their hot-headed reactions to buff the aggressive aura for them and use them to rush into the west line, then throw their phones into the soldiers' faces. Tay Exenfire's subscribers We'll just let them use a lot of firecrackers to launch against soldiers in long-range combat. And don't forget to say, wow! Then there are the 200% to 300% dealers. The first mission of the dealer is to negotiate with the governor to dispatch their time as much as possible so each storming team can succeed. Then the main teams, the local drag racers, will start their engines and burn their tires to create a loud noise out from modified intake. This will prevent our Naruto runners and other teams getting the attention of police and reduce noise. Before we go to make history, Tamagai monks will buff speed and evasion aura for Naruto runners. Then the Naruto runners will storm from both sides of the monument. That's when the vape cloud creators will create smoke from their vapes to blind the police and soldiers' vision. This will keep them from shooting the Naruto runners from afar. During the Naruto running, the bubble tea shooters, with accuracy buff, will lay down covering fire with bubbles for the Naruto runners to pressure the police and soldiers. At last, this will be key to our victory. <laughs> <laughs> how much of that did you get? Yeah, I, I am embarrassed to admit how little I understood. Like a good 1%. Well, to be fair, <laughs> we, we talked about this. I think between the two of us, there's like a third that's kind of obvious and we get. Yeah, yeah. There's a third that we kind of suspect. Yeah. And then there's another third that we know F all. Right. And there's some that we we literally had to go down a lot of rabbit holes to figure. So we decided that we wanted to understand this because we think if we can understand this, we can understand something about this moment in Thailand. So we divvied up. We divvied, we divvied this up. So Naruto Runners, we get that. It's from the anime of the same name. It's basically when you lean forward, stick your arms back, and run like a jackass. Tamakai monks. Tamakai is um, a temple, and I literally just thought they meant monks in the temple. Do they have a second meaning? Well, the Tamakai movement has been around for decades. I want to say since the 80s is when it kind of became popular, and then really in the late 90s, turn of the century, turn of the millennium, it really flourished. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, it's kind of new agey, it has a lot of middle-class Bangkok support, um, and they come in for some criticism. I mean, their, their temple does look like a UFO. It was all the stuff with the abbot disappearing, yeah. the government going after them, the uh, credit unions, yes, a fraud scandal, yes. right? right, yeah. right. So, so that's the Tamakai monks, local drag racers. I think we know, uh, AKA Nick Wen. 
which are basically um, motor, mo like young people on motorbikes, like motorbikings. But here they like make noises and people think they go, vent, vent. That's a really bad interpretation. Oh, you know, I never realized it was an onomatopoeia. I thought so, oh, because okay. why, where would the when come from? I thought that was like the sound they made. I thought the make. dudes were the van, and then like the 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 hot thirteen year old girlfriends were their sakoit. Oh. And I thought you, I thought they raced to have sex with their sakoits. Yeah. The more you know. This things I hear. Okay. Uh, vapors, vape cloud creators. I think that's self-explanatory. Yes, I get that. <laughs> Even though they're illegal, uh, everyone seems to have a vape pen, uh, especially around downtown. The bubble tea launchers. I get bubble tea. As someone who uh, knows people who are bubble tea addicts, uh, okay, I, I, I guess I get that. And local college fighters, uh, as doing news, we know all too well. Right. Vocational college students who study at tech schools. Um, and on a, on, a, on a monthly, weekly, sometimes daily basis, they gun each other down. They're, they're known for a lot of gang violence. In Bangkok, there's Utentawai oh. next to Tula, and and then there's the Patumwan kids just a few blocks away, and they're always doing drive-bys on each oh. other. Um, so this is uh, fair or not, they have a reputation. Right. They have a reputation as right. as being kind of violent gangsters. Okay. So the the rest we had no idea. So we divvied them up. Let's let's share our notes. Okay. So the first one I'm going to explain is the ROV and PUBG Gamer Kids. I'm sorry, PUBG M Gamer Kids. That's a very specific difference. Um, ROV, very popular online, what's called an online mobile battle arena game. Right. These are, you have two sides. You have six to ten players usually playing hero classes on a map. And it's they send their units against each other to try to destroy each other's bases. Um, very pop, huge, huge, huge in Thailand. And then you have PUBG M. Um, PUBG M is the mobile phone version of Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, mm. which, apart from Fortnite, is one of the biggest battle royale games in that it's a first person shooter. You're airdropped with a team onto a map, and then you have to battle it out to be the last one alive in an ever shrinking map. Right. Wow, that's cool. So, but these, I mean, these are, you, I cannot say en enough how huge these are. There are, there are e-games tournaments yeah. at like Bytech yeah, yeah. and Impact, right. uh, two of the biggest stadiums in town, that pack in tens of thousands of asses screaming. And it's not all dudes. I mean, there's girls at these things too. Right. And they're screaming. I mean, this is huge. This is bigger than, you know, you think the Snoop Dogg concert was big? <laughs> no, no, right. it's nothing. And people are getting scholarships from like our, their ROV matches. Well, and, and they're starting stuff. to make some real money too. Yeah, yeah. Like the purses have gone up to the, you know, hundreds of thousands to millions of bot. Yeah. Um, but it's also, they're very salty. It's online gaming. So they're, you know, they're not known for being... Outgoing. Well, easygoing. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they're, these, they're, they're a temperamental lot. So I got JoJo stand users. And JoJo stand users. That took me no a while. I have no idea what that is. Right, because I totally thought JoJo stand was a thing. So, so bear with me a little. You kind of have to go through. You have to nerd out with yeah. me. So this comes from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, which is a Japanese manga series. And it's been adapted to animes twice, I believe. Japanese animation. Yes. Anime. Japanese animation slash comic book manga. So... Okay, so stands are, in, in this series, in this world, stands are entities physically generated by a user. Oh, it's not a place to sell lemonade? No. No, I totally thought, what's JoJo? No, so stands are basically like when you are fighting. Like most, most people use stands when they're in battle. So you summon this stand. 
And people who have stands are called stands users. Yeah, mm. making sense. And um, the stands are basically the user's fighter spirit. They typically possess power that is more human. Is overhuman. Oh, some kind of avatar. Right. It's like an entity. It's like a. It's like a better an, you. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. An avatar. So you summon these in battles, and stands can be both good and bad depending mm. on the users. And yeah. So I'm guessing a lot of Thai netizens. Like I, I asked our our office if they know JoJo stand, and everybody said no. But we do know JoJo's Maybe bizarre JoJo. adventure. So yeah. I'm. So it's a huge thing Are stands here. a part of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure or are stands a separate thing that they're putting into JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? They, they are a part of it. They're like, stands are basically entities you summon when you want to fight or when you want right. to do something that requires like overhuman ability. As any true JoJo fan would know. Right. So next, I was really intrigued by the nun who deflects the nuclear bombs. And I'd, I'd heard something like this, but I did have to do a little bit of, uh, well, a couple Google searches. Um, and there was, at the height of World War II, it was uh, like the Allies, meaning America and, right. and them folk, actually came to nuke Bangkok. According, So the story goes. They came to nuke Bangkok, and these nuns used their spiritual power to turn the bombs away. They hmm. deflected the nuclear bombs. And I think they sent them to Japan, and that's why Japan <laughs> got nuked. Sounds legit. <laughs> yeah. So next off, I have Tae X and Fire. Uh, Tae is a very popular YouTube creator, and mm -hmm. his channel is Tae X and Fire. He has about 5 million, almost 6 million subscribers right now, and he is totaling... What is that? 1 billion views? He does everything from like food challenges, like eating 10 chocolate ice creams after starving himself for 24 hours or... Um, stunts. Stunts. But what he is most known for and his most watched videos are videos of him basically, for lack of a better word, blowing shit up. Okay. <laughs> he basically gathers these things where you can easily get over the counter, like smoke bombs or firecrackers and does like bizarre stuff with it. Like, he uses them in, yeah. in unconventional ways. Like stuffing a bunch of firecrackers into a watermelon and just seeing it explode or setting a hundred smoke bombs on fire at the same time. Okay, that sounds pretty cool. That, that's exactly something that I did as a child, but we didn't have YouTube. Right. I, I was watching the videos and I was like, damn, I wish I was friends with this guy. I would love to see this happen in describe, person. Describe him. What it like? He's a very, he's not someone I, I would expect to be doing these videos. He's kind of like, you know, cheeky looking, but he's very like child, childish looking, very... Looked in a photo, he looks a little slow. He has this smile, the grin, he's always smiling, he's always happy, and he's always like very good humored in these videos. He's like, haha, I'm gonna blow up a watermelon. So his videos are very exciting and elicit a lot of excitement because, you know, you're blowing shit up. Like most of his videos end up with things on fire. And in a lot of these videos, he'll say, wow, wow, after like a bomb goes off or something gets set on fire. So we can only assume how ready for action his subscribers are. Okay, so Ricardo Milos. You don't know who that is? No, I don't. Ricardo Milos is someone I swear that you have seen probably dozens of times. The Tynet is obsessed with him. In fact, they have a nickname for him. They call him Pito. Him and this other guy, you find in many comments animated GIFs of these guys popping up. And he's kind of used like a Rickroll. Like oh. you may be watching a video on Thai YouTube and then suddenly it cuts to Ricardo Milos doing his dance. Oh, his fun I see. Dance. Yeah, I see. Exactly. I see what he's about. 
And I mean, they're just so full of energy and light. And people love these guys. Pito yeah. and P Shark is the other guy. I can't remember ah. his. I can't remember his his actual name. Right. This white guy who's got this big smile and they got crazy hair and they just they just fucking dance like Respect. you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, and so they are huge uh, on the tie net. And then there's this last one, and this one this one was hard. The 200% to 300% dealers. My instincts were that this was some kind of uh, Thailand as anywhere, well, maybe even more than anywhere, has its share of scams, yeah. right? And MLM is huge here. There's all these MLM networks. MLM? Multi-level marketing. Oh, okay. Pyramid schemes. Yes. Oh, for lack of, okay. For lack of a better term. Okay, right? now. But they don't call it that. They call it multi-level marketing. So I did need an assist. So I contacted our, our friend Amarin, who wrote the plan. <laughs> So he sent me a video. He said he couldn't find the original video that, that, that is like the prime meme source of this. He sent me a video. It's a couple minutes long. It's a scene from The Shining. You've got Jack Nicholson's character just about to take the axe to the hotel room with Shelley Duvall inside. Oh. Very famous scene. Right, right towards here's, the end. Here's Johnny. Yes. Right. And so uh, he's shouting at her and he's trying to break in. And with every swing of the axe, he's like... Oh, I see. <laughs> in, in translated in Thai. Yeah, 100%, 200%, 300%. Jack Nissen does not speak Thai. <laughs> Which Amadin did say something about passive income. So then that led me down this rabbit hole of all these videos, as you can imagine, that are on YouTube, especially Thai YouTube, um, about how to make passive income, which I think you can get kind of is self-explanatory, right? right? It's like make money without doing anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so there's these people talking about like, oh, you know, you can do this, get Airbnb or make an investment, all these things you can do that then you're just going to reap this passive investment. Uh -huh. And this idea, I'm, I'm, I couldn't find the original video, but I did find things where people were promising like, oh, 200% passive income off your initial investment. Of course, all this stuff is prefaced on the fact that like you had money to invest in the first place. Right. Um, but there were long, long winding videos where people are laying out, explaining like with whiteboards, all these ways that you could, could earn mm. two to 300% passive income. Definitely so, sounds like a pyramid scheme. Yeah. So someone trying to sell this lifestyle just right. like digital nomads or all this other stuff that is sort of sold as a way to escape the reality that life is a boring drag of toil to earn some money. And avoid um, doing some work. Yeah. The easy way out. Right. So there are the 200 to 300% dealers. Got it? Yes, got it. Okay, with that knowledge now, ready to do a recap of the plan now that it makes sense and we'll, yes. we'll sort of put it in context? Okay, so the plan started with JoJo's stand users who are going to stand by at their position and clear out the dinosaurs. And by the way, dinosaur, of course, is a reference to... The army. JoJo's stand users are going to clear the footpaths of soldiers and dinosaurs. I I'm guessing that's because through the power of their avatars right. that they summon, which yes. are ideal empowered forms of themselves, it's going to imbue them with this extra sort of strength to clear the area. Right. And to me, it was kind of like fighting, you know, They're like going to be the armies. ones best to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the actual Right. Soldiers. And they're just clearing the path, you know? They're just Got like it. the first stage. Got it. And then from the east, the, the local college fighters, right, who are the vocational uh, students who have a reputation for being very gangy and violently... Um, they're going to be buffed 
their holy auras are going to be buffed by the magic monks from Tamakai, right? Who we know by now have magical powers. Right. Buffing is a video game term to sort of like enhance these statistics or abilities. Ah. So the monks are going to use their holy auras to buff the the vocational kid students with extra strength and they're going to rush in to really do the fighting against the police and soldiers. Makes sense. Yeah. They'd be good for that. And then we go to the nuns who will deflect, instead of deflecting nuclear bombs, they're going to deflect tear gas grenade and as fast as possible and, you know, direct it somewhere else so the gas doesn't leak and, like, the people storming the democracy don't get tear gassed. Makes complete sense. Good yeah. use of their powers. Clear the path. That's when the always distracting... Ricardo Milos is going to rickroll the scene and distract all the soldiers away with his dancing. He's going to dodge the bullets and provide a distraction for the vocational students to rush through easier. So then the ROV and PUBGM gamer kids will play the game, will do what they do best. So they're going to be themselves and then get so angry they throw their phones at the soldiers' face. <laughs> oh, good, good attack strategy. That's when Tay Exenfire's subscribers, who we know have tremendous enthusiasm for his blowing shit up. Yes. Yeah, they're going to hurl firecrackers against the soldiers, and they're going to be screaming, wow, the whole time. And then that's when the 200, 300% dealers, so the scammers, are going to negotiate with the governor, which is Aswin Kwan Meung, and basically buy time for the people to continue, the main team to continue storming the democracy monument. With their very persuasive arguments. And th and they promise that there is some hidden truth inside the right. democracy monument. Otherwise, what is this all for? Right. <laughs> Finally, the main teams, that's when they're going to kick it in. The drag racers, the deck van, uh, who we know are, what, teenage motorcycle gangsters. Yes. They're going to rev up their engines, burn their tires to create a smoke screen to cover the Naruto runners who will be charging in uh, and cover their noise so they can get through. Finally... The Tamagai monks, with, which, as we know, have magical powers, will use their magic to basically make the Naruto runners faster. They will storm both sides of the, of the monument. And covering their way... The vape cloud creators will yes. be puffing it up, ah. <laughs> exhaling massive uh, uh, fuzzy clouds. I was waiting for the vapors. To blind the soldiers and police. Uh, this will, oh, this is to protect the new runners from being shot. Sealing this deal are the bubble tea shooters. Who, who, knew, who knew it would come down to the bubble tea shooters? We'll be shooting bubble tea out of their whatever they're shooting it from at the soldiers. And that will be the key to their victory. It all makes sense now, doesn't it? Yes. Maybe by the power of Thai memes, uh, uh, democracy will, will dawn upon the land again. I can't, I, honestly, that was hard. I can't, I can't imagine. I know a lot of people understand this at first read 100%. Well, as part of our mission of making the world make more sense to you, we're yes. happy to go and figure all of that out. That's what uh, we're here for, dissecting internet memes. And losing about two hours of my life. <laughs> or more. All right, folks, that's all we've got for you this week. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. Until next week, I remain Todd Reese in Bangkok. And I'm Tara Kamaltnavith. Find these stories and more at coconuts.co. Special thanks this week to our sound engineer, Inigo Manthagon, and superb hosts at Rock Academy Studios in Bangkok's A-Square. The Coconuts Podcast is written and produced by Todd Reese and Tara Kamalvatanath. Our executive producers are Byron Perry and Chad Williams. Thanks for tuning in. See you next week. Bye.